0: Hello, and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about one night in Miami, and I'm happy to be joined once again by my friend Daniel Lima, who I think we could say... Actually, no. I was about to make a joke about maybe stepping up in quality from your last appearance as far as the movies we're talking about, but I have a feeling he might not be the biggest fan of this movie. But, Daniel, thanks for joining us.
1: Uh, it's good to be here. Always good.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, One Night in Miami is the newest movie from Amazon Studios. It is directed by Regina King and written by Kent Powers, who we just recently talked about on this podcast because he was brought in to co write and co direct Soul. It is adapted from Kent Powers' own play, and it tells the story of a night that actually happened, but it's the fictitious telling of what might have happened on that night where Muhammad Ali, who was then known as Cassius Clay, uh, became the heavyweight champion of the world by defeating Sonny Liston at a fight in Miami, met up with his friends Malcolm X, Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke at the Hampton House Hotel in the historically black neighborhood of Overton in Miami, and everyone knows that, that they did actually meet up that night, but no one exactly knows what was talked about, but Ken Powers' play is kind of a retelling of what he thinks might have happened that night when these men gathered together and talked i guess daniel i'll first start before i even get into your uh your your takes on the movie when you hear of a movie or a story or a play that's kind of has this kind of general premise where it's like an imagination of what might have happened between like historical people what is your expectation or ideal best case scenario for what one could accomplish by
1: telling such a story uh, well, when I first heard about the premise of this movie, I was like, "Oh, that sounds really cool." You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because um, I like a bottle episode. I like uh, I like an episode where it's uh, I mean a movie or a story, where it's about a limited cast of people interacting with one another, bouncing off of each other. Uh, especially when you've got you know uh, you know the characters of this movie are you know four very uh, larger than life personalities in real life. So you know I was I was interested very interested also because you know I'm a, I'm familiar with uh, at least I, I'm pretty familiar with Jim Brown um, you know, I know Malcolm X. I, I, I'll admit that I never read his autobiography, but, you know, I've seen Malcolm X. It's pretty much it. Right. It's pretty much it. I mean, it's like um, a, it's
0: a long ass movie. So I think it probably tells a bigger chunk <laughs> of that book than most movies based on books. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I'm a fan of and Cooks, even though I, I don't know too much about the man himself. And, you know, I'm a fan, you know, Muhammad Ali. Every time I see an interview with Muhammad Ali, it's like the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> that dude was great to watch whether he was in the ring or not. So, you know, because these are such dynamic figures and personalities all kind of bouncing off one each other, riffing off of one another, I thought that's a good premise.
0: Yeah, so I I, I, I had the same thought, obviously. It was just very interesting, and I, I probably don't know as much about uh, most of these guys aside from Jim Brown as you because I probably know more about his football hat past and you probably know more about his acting past. But I, I still had a passing knowledge of all of them. I, again, I'd seen Malcolm X. I know some Sam Cooke songs. But at the same time, I figured... It's, it was kind of a cool opportunity for a movie because I, aside from Cassius Clay slash Muhammad Ali, like I don't know that much about most of these guys. And uh, if you're going to tell this kind of story, I, it's going to probably resonate most with me as a viewer if it's guys that are well-known who I just do not know that much about. So I was pretty excited for it. I had my first viewing back in October, November, when I was playing at one of the virtual film festivals. And uh, I just, it it didn't work out for me to record an episode back then. So I figured I'd get back around to it when uh, it got its wide release, which it did on Amazon Prime just last weekend. And uh, I I talked to you and I talked to our friend Josh Brown about it, who watched it before you. And uh, Josh Brown, who's uh, couldn't join us tonight, but gave us a a quick review and called it the Black Green Book, which I mean, uh, I I had to have maybe worried you a little bit, but you were still optimistic. And then, but you, you had not watched it yet at that point. And I was like, oh, man, is Josh going to ruin it for me on my second viewing now, now that he like kind of incepted that idea into my head? So I'm going to ask you, Daniel, is One Night Miami, The Black Green Book, which is a movie that we talked about on this podcast about exactly two years ago?
1: Well, that's hyperbolic. <laughs> it's, not, it's not good. And I think that it runs into weirdly something of the same problems as Green Book. But A, it's better made and B, I mean, it's It's, not racist. And it's made by, it's made by black people. Yeah, it's not racist. And there is, I guess, some amount of insight there. But uh, for a myriad of reasons, I think that it's, it's ultimately rather uh, simplistic, superfluous. Like I don't think that it's that interesting.
0: You know what, I, what, I, what, I'll say is that I, I think I definitely still enjoyed it more than you, though. I, I, JB might have gotten in my head a little bit on that second viewing. And uh, maybe I noticed some things I didn't, maybe wouldn't have noticed as much. I, I'll, the first thing I'll say is that, regardless, I do think the performances are very good. We should say uh, Kingsley Benadier plays Malcolm X, and you might have some different uh, opinions on that. We'll get to that. Eli Gore, who's a relative newcomer, plays Cassius Clay. Aldous Hodge, who you might know from. Playing MC Wren in the Straight Out Compton movie, he played Ray Voodoo Tatum on Friday Night Lights. He's been in a lot of different things, but um, he plays Jim Brown and Leslie Odom Jr., who everyone knows from uh, Hamilton, he plays Sam Cook. I really enjoyed all the performances, and I think that, that puts a floor on a movie like this, as long as it's not like, you know, it doesn't go full Green Book. I think that puts a floor on a movie like this. But I will say the one thing that kind of struck me on the second viewing, which I didn't think was like it did, it, because. I don't know. I don't, I don't think most of the movie bothered me maybe as much as it might have bothered you guys. But what bothered me more is maybe that, those first 15 minutes, where I feel like that might have been a little more like. For some reason, I was locked in the first time I saw the movie. I had like a, a very specific amount of time to watch it for this virtual film festival. And I was like, first time in a while, I'd like really gotten serious with like a new release and watched it like on my big screen in my living room with the lights off and everything. And I was kind of zoned in and maybe just really excited to be seeing a movie kind of early before the general public. And maybe I was like, maybe too forgiving because of that I don't know but it didn't really bother me but this time it felt like some of those opening scenes like where Bo Bridges is really racist to Jim Brown or uh, Sam Cooke at the Copacabana it almost felt like the, the, them trying to kind of hold the white audience's hand and be like hey even though these black guys are very successful they faced racism too and that was something that kind of struck me as something that's like, I don't even know if he really needed that, you know? I think they probably could have gotten that point across through this, uh, these guys' conversations. And that's one thing that maybe bothered me a little more, though I'm curious because I do think it deals with – I thought it kind of dealt with some complex issues, but maybe that's as complex to me as like the naive white person watching. But I did I, – I thought the stuff, at least for me, between – uh sam cook and malcolm X. I, I did find it kind of interesting and who knows how much truth there is who, who knows how much these conversations actually happen who knows if malcolm x used a bob dylan song to inspire change is going to come I don't know. Maybe maybe you might have rolled your eyes when that happened. And I was like, huh, that's kind of an admittedly.
1: Change. Ad- admittedly, change is going to come. Uh, I think Sam Cooke said that he was inspired to write it by Bob Dylan.
0: Oh, well, so there you go. Uh, but I don't know. I, I like that streak of the movie, at least. So I will ask you, was there a uh, one big point that it seemed like it was trying to get across that you thought, oh, maybe they could have been doing that. A, maybe they could have done that a little differently.
1: Um, Well, pretty much all of it. Oh, okay. (laughs) So uh, before we get into like the larger point of the movie, I want to talk about those performances real Mm -hmm. quick. Um, With a movie like this, you're dependent on two things. Uh, Because it's a bottle episode where it's just four characters talking to each other for most of the movie. You're dependent on the dialogue. And you're also really dependent on the performances. Now, I don't really blame the actors here for reasons that we'll get into later. But I find their performances to generally be, I mean, serviceable, but also I don't, they're, and, and, you know, they're embodying, they're trying to portray these people who are so larger than life, who we all sort of know as, like, we know their personality. Sam Cooke a little less, admittedly, on my my part, but, you know, I've seen Jim Brown movies. I've watched Malcolm X and listened to Malcolm X talk. I've seen Muhammad Ali you know give interviews go in the ring like i know these men very well and well you know better than you know most characters so like you know for an actor to play somebody that iconic i know is always going to be kind of trouble but i don't think that any of the performances here really get into any of the i don't don't get any insight into who these people are as
0: people i I think i think it's definitely the case for I'm going to I'm going to I'm probably just going to start end up calling him Muhammad Ali. I keep like trying to catch myself to call him Cassius Clay because he was still Cassius Clay for like at least the events of this movie, which largely take place right before he um, is about to come out and convert to Islam. But I, I don't really think you get that much into his head in this movie, more so than the other three. And that maybe that's why that performance isn't asking as much of him. But I'll ask you more specifically on the Malcolm X performance because I think that's it's a very interesting one. Is is that colored at all by the fact that you're familiar with the movie Malcolm X and that Denzel performance, and this is just
1: kind of serving up something very, very different? Well, actually, I will say that his kind of stands out simply because you know he exists with like you know next to this great performance of this man. You know, I know that you know uh, what's his name, Will Smith did Muhammad Ali, and you know I, I get that, but. um, You know, he's standing next to this performance that's, you know, considered one of the greatest of all time. And I think that he did a good job differentiating himself from that performance, you know, playing him as a far more, I don't know, low-key intellectual figure. Like, you know, uh, especially—I was talking to JB, and he was like, you know, I'm I'm kind of—I find it—I'm weirdly offended by the fact that it portrays him as kind of just this dweeb compared to these men. And I'm like, you know, honestly, that, that's something I appreciate because next to Muhammad Ali and Jim Brown... Everyone looks like a dweeb, you know what I mean? So uh, I think that that's the most nuanced well, portrayal. But all, also that they're catching him at this point in time, I would say. because Yes, right, right when he's splitting from the Nation of Islam. Right, he's in um, such a
0: precarious position. And I think Spike Lee's movie is maybe like the best case scenario if you're going to do a cradle-to-the-grave biopic. As, just, as far as an example of holding up how to pull that off, because, I mean, there's so many biopics trying to do the same thing, and it's just no bueno. And you get a little tired of seeing that kind of stuff. So that's why it's kind of always refreshing when someone tries to do any kind of spin on a real life character that's just trying to catch them in a moment in time. And obviously when uh, you're going to see just a, a much different side of Malcolm X, when you are looking at his entire life and everything he went through to raise, get to the point where he did up until he had a split with Elijah Muhammad. And so to, to only focus in on one night where like, that is like, just about to happen it kind of makes sense to me that like he would be you know you're going to get a much different side of him for most of the runtime of the movie and i i just thought it was really interesting and it was a way in my head that like they were able to uh, allow kingsley ben to like uh you know separate himself from just an iconic denzel performance where i think it's really apples and oranges
1: yeah um i wouldn't be so glowing but i agree for the most part, but I, that being said, um, uh, the other certainly the other performances, into a lesser extent, Kingsley, I do think that it kind of falls into the trap of kind of just being an impersonation, and so I found, which I found more distracting than anything else, like I don't know, like they these guys are trying so hard to pass as these men that the moments where they don't quite pass as these men. I'm like, just distracting. And I don't think that there's any insight to their, I don't know, inner characters. They, they just seem like they're playing what we think these men to be. And that's not helped by uh, the script.
0: Well, I guess... I'll get I'll get to the script in a second. I, what I'll say though is that like I I guess I, I I guess more people have probably seen young Muhammad Ali interviews than uh, anything, obviously because of the health problems he had later in life. But I can't really say I've watched like you. I can't say I know a lot about Sam Cooke the man at that point in time. And as far as Jim Brown, like what I know from him, I know from like Jim Brown is like a guy in his 70s and 80s more. I feel like he has become more outspoken in those in, in, in over the last 25 years. And uh, I don't want to say more outspoken compared to what he was before, but still pretty outspoken. Uh, the, the the one out of these four that has been like, you know, a public figure in the last 30 years. And I think that I guess I was more colored thinking about, oh, that's what he's like then. I don't know a whole lot about as well what, what he was like at in the 60s so I'll, I'll i'll take this performance at face value and i think there is some points where the there, there is insight in some of the conversations in which he is having and i but like i did get a kind of a sense of fame and i did feel like i got a sense of where uh sam cook was coming from but uh what was it specifically about the script that you felt was kind of like a bit of a roadblock to connecting with those guys because again i w- did find it some of these conversations they had about uh just their role their role in the world fairly interesting at least to me
1: um. Well, <laughs> oh man, where to start? So, the movie is them locked in a room together, and I'll admit that when uh, the characters were like, "Wait, we're just gonna stay in this room all night," I'll admit that a part of me was also like, "Wait, they're gonna actually stay in the room all night? <laughs> um, Like, you know, how, how is that? You gotta, you gotta have real confidence in yourself to put these four men." in a room with nothing to bounce off but each other and trust that you're going to come up with something interesting. And I don't think the movie ultimately does. So the problem that I think is twofold one going along with like the fact that these, these characters, these actors aren't really doing much beyond just a hollow impersonation of these men. I feel a lot of the conversation is, it feels more like I'm reading their Wikipedia page, man. Like a lot of the, you mentioned the moment where, uh, you know, he puts on the Bob Dylan record and is like, "Why? Why is he talking about things that you aren't?" You know, Malcolm to to, to Sam Cook. Um, there's like this moment where like uh, uh, Jim Brown's like, "Yeah, I just did an acting job. I got paid fifty-eight thousand dollars for it. Um, Thirty-seven thousand, like, but they were very impressed by it nonetheless." Yeah, yeah. I actually I actually looked it up, and that comes out to about uh, half a million dollars. Oh, really? Yeah, I did the went on the inflation calculator, which I think is a problem. If I'm watching a movie and every line, of, every other line of dialogue makes me go, "Huh." Is that true? I wonder what that's like. Huh? Let me. I was looking. I was on my phone. I'm gonna admit. Uh, I I had to pause the movie multiple Wait, times see, just to see, look up because I wasn't engaged because it, it, I didn't feel like I was watching men interacting with one another and bouncing off each other and thinking about the. I was just looking at this and it was like a. It was like a. What's the name? McCarthy, the guy who writes those. Um, the guy who writes like Darkest Hour and such. It. What's his name? Anthony McCarthy. Anthony McCartan. Yeah, and, and that's what I was feeling like I was watching just a just a recollection of all. The, it's like a like a nothing but the hits, but without music. I mean, with, except for Sam Cook, um, and it just it it it, it was fucking distracting. Hmm. Beyond that, the things that they were talking about. Look, I think you kind of got it when you were like, "This is interesting to me," but I'm a I'm a white dude. Sure, like I'm watching it and I'm like, I mean, yeah, I mean. Do we assimilate? Do we play nice in order to win our independence? Or do we uh, act standoffish? Do we act uh, uh, adversarial? Um, This is the kind of thing that I've seen not only in, like, my own personal life and talking to my own friends of color, but, like, it's what I see, like, in movies. Like, there are movies going back from the 70s. I actually rewatched—before we did this episode, I rewatched Black Gun, which was, I believe, 1972— uh, yep, 1972 movie starring Jim Brown. Uh, and, like, the first scene is him talking, like, you know, he's like this nightclub owner, and he's talking to his militant brother, and they're debating this exact thing. And I'm like, this is an action crime movie where they it ends with explosions and a gunfight with the mob, and they're deal- delving with these issues in, I think, a more interesting way than One Night in Miami does. Because One Night in Miami is, like, two hours of just dialogue in the most surface level possible— and because it spends so much time going over the histories and accomplishments of these men in order to tell its audience, like, hey, yo, these are what these guys have done, um, it, it 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 doesn't feel like they're going into anything that's particularly insightful.
0: Well, you know, I, I felt like it was trying the movie. I felt like it was actually kind of on Malcolm X's side, and I th- the, the way it ends, I think almost kind of like you know hammers that point home, where it's like, see, he pushed him to write this amazing song. Eh, it, it
1: kind of feels, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. No,
0: but my point is, I, I, I'm not saying I necessarily agree with that. I'm kind of listening to Sam Cook, and I'm like, I, my, my thinking was like, he's, it's, I thought it was interesting because he's making these points about how he's making a lot of money and he's like, owns his masters and is able to kind of accumulate wealth that way and produce other black artists. And I was like, that's actually kind of interesting. I don't know if the movie's giving him like enough credit for that. And I, well, what I think, I enjoy movies- trying to unpack that.
1: Well, I don't think that the movie takes a stand one way or the other. It's supposed to be an exploration of these two philosophies. Hmm. And ultimately, I don't think that it does a good job doing that. I think in part because it doesn't take a strong stance one way or the other. Oh, OK. Uh, it tries to do like a kind of both side thing with the two of them. And, you know, I see that, and I'm like, all right, well, that's, that's just cowardice, because I've seen—you know, there's 1973, The Spook Who Sat by the Door. That's a militant-ass movie that gets suppressed by the FBI, and it, it, it takes a stand, and it comes out all the richer for it. In fact, I think that it, it actually does the same thing, where it doesn't, it doesn't vilify, necessarily, the character who stands in opposition, the more establishment uh, adversary in that movie— they give him a fair shake, but it takes a stand, and because it has a perspective, it, it ends up being far more rewarding than this, which doesn't, and so it just becomes this back and forth that ultimately doesn't mean anything because I, they don't I, seem to think that there is a oh, true winner here.
0: Oh, I guess in the moment, I guess it struck me as it felt like it was taking a stand because it felt like they were being like, see, look up, Malcolm pushed him to do, was kind of how I thought the movie was framing him coming up with the song eventually.
1: Well, he had already written the song uh in fact oh right right goes into, yeah which goes into they kind of they
0: kind of fudged the release date a little bit of change gonna come didn't they
1: yeah the, yeah it had already been recorded by the time right. this night happened but like well see um, that, I, I
0: feel like that goes to my point even more it's like they the movie went through the trouble of like you know changing the uh changing the facts to kind of like support the idea that malcolm pushed him you know yeah,
1: but then it feels that, that then it runs into that issue of being far more a uh a recounting of their historical accomplishments. A hagiography? And, and, yeah, like a hagiography. Yeah. Um, I remember, like, I, you, you are right. As soon as he was like, not it wasn't the moment where he puts on the Bob Dylan record, but it was the moment when, like, uh, at the end, toward the end of the movie, when uh, Malcolm X and Cassius Clay go out and Cassius announces himself as Cassius X, Sam Cooke and Jim Brown are left alone in the hotel room. And he's like, here's the thing, Malcolm X is right. I, uh, I, uh, I do. I did really like that song, uh, Bob Dylan's song, and he's like, you know, I've been working on something actually.
0: Right, right. He does want to.
1: Do you want to hear it? And then it cuts away, and I'm like, it reminded me that. And there was another scene, the uh, the Black Power scene, where uh, Sam Cooke and Muhammad Ali are in uh, a car, in one of the few moments that the movie takes away from the hotel room, and Muhammad Ali says the word Black Power, and Sam Cooke's like black power yeah i can get behind that and it reminded me of that it reminded me of the scene from uh from back to the future Hmm. the chuck chuck it's your cousin it's your cousin bear it's your your cousin you you said you're looking for that new sound we'll listen to this oh right that same kind of shit and i was like this is embarrassing like i'm I'm supposed to be getting something out of this this is goofy
0: wait so remind me how it goes in back to the future it's that they're implying that marty mcfly inspired chuck berry right
1: yeah, exactly. It just kind of fucked up. Uh, <laughs> it is fucked up, but um, but yeah, no, it, it just it just comes across as like, like this this night it was totemic, it, it was it was it was this it was that, um, because X happened, Y happened, Z happened, and it doesn't coalesce to me into something that's actually. I don't know, interesting, insightful. And I, it should be noted that even if it wasn't like the problem, the reason why I'm pointing out that it's not very interesting or insightful is that it's not very entertaining. And if you're not, and because it doesn't, it, there's not, there's not many moments of levity. It's very much, uh, I was, I was so worried going in actually, a little worried, I should say, because I'd never watched the trailer, mm-hmm. but I heard that, you know, there's four of these like very larger than life personalities in a room together. And I'm like, how can you make a movie like that? Boring. How could you make a movie like that boring? I don't see how you take that concept and then go, no, 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 no. This has to be an important film. This has to be – you know that. You know what I'm talking about. I imagine – I always imagine Common Um, (laughs) leaning in like – and going, this is an important film, which is to say this is a movie that has to be serious. There can't be any – any levity here there can't be any no this has to be we have to speak to the issues to the detriment of actually telling an entertaining story but it seems like so um, it
0: seems like you put that more on the script than the direction because one thing i hear a lot of the times in these uh, stage to screen adaptations is like oh you really feel the limitations of the uh, of the medium or that's um, that coming well, from and you're, and, you're and you're
1: right in pointing that out yeah
0: Well, no, I mean, I'm wondering, because it's something I struggle with, and I've been trying to think about it a lot, because I just, you know, I just did a podcast two weeks ago on Ma Rainey's Black, or three weeks ago on Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and I was talking about the same thing there, because I'd heard some similar criticisms, and then I listened to a podcast, uh, I listened to the Big Picture episode where they talked about just their favorite screen-to-stage adaptations, and or stage to screen adaptations. And a couple that they mentioned that I, I, I personally, I I didn't even know Amadeus was based on a play. I just didn't realize that. And I had forgotten that Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf was too. And I'm like, oh, I can kind of just feel it. It's hard to explain, but I can kind of feel how those might, you know, transcend the stage in the way that they're filmed on the screen. And maybe this one doesn't, but I'm not sure exactly how many ways there are to do that. Maybe when you're put solely inside of a hotel room like i i I, regina kings is handcuffed to a certain extent at that point
1: um fair enough uh i've I've never really thought too much generally about how much adaptation owes itself owes its like uh Mm -hmm. stage birth to like you know the adaptation i never really it's never really crossed my mind with the exception of one night in miami i'm not gonna lie i was watching this thinking This feels this feels like a stage play, but what did it feel? There's like fences too. Like um, that was another person. Fences is another one. Uh, Well, even that, I think I give a little more credit. But I think that there, it's just that there's so much, there's more to the people in it uh, than there is here. And because there's so much artifice in this movie, because so much of it is just spitting out this hagiography, this history of these men, because so much of it is just them talking about the real issues um, to the detriment of establishing who they are as people um, beyond their their accomplishments. It feels far more like writerly. It feels like it was crafted for uh, a, like, alright, we, we only have a limited amount of space, so let's try to fit this all into this one little spot. Um, and so yeah, it feels like it's kind of, I would say that it was like fighting against the constraints of, 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 of the adaptation, but I don't think that it's doing that much to break the mold anyway. Right. It's and, like, and it I, very comfortable.
0: So I was thinking about it today because last night I'm I'm I ho- hopefully doing an episode on pieces of a woman in the next day or two. The the new Netflix movie with Vanessa Kirby about a, a woman that struggles through a, a difficult childbirth and the aftermath of it. And this whole scene where she gives birth is like a 30-minute tracking shot just inside of this Boston townhouse. And I'm like, mm-hmm. it's kind of showy because it doesn't have to be a tracking shot for 30 minutes, but they make one. And I'm like – And I, I sometimes think that actually does really add to like the suspense and the intensity of a conversation. If you try and somehow make like a long conversation and do it in one take somehow, at the same time, I was thinking like, oh, well, if they had done that here or something like that, it would have just felt like a new director showing off too much and then taking away from like these really important figures. So I'm like wondering, uh, when you're trying, I guess maybe there's a way to strike a balance and shoot it in a more interesting way. I don't know, but I, I, I I I spent a lot of time thinking about that and I'm like, I don't really know if there's anything I'm like necessarily faulting Regina King here for, uh, but at the same time I was more entertained by the writing than you were. So I guess that stuff's just not going to weigh on me as much because your, your mind's wondering, like you already said, anyway, trying to google shit so that <laughs> i i ideally ideally they could have been doing more to keep your keep your the direction could have been doing more to keep your head in the game for lack of a better term
1: right now there is i'll admit there are a couple moments here and there that kind of sparked my interest um at the tour at the beginning before it dawned on me that what this movie was attempting to do I did like the little moments of, like, you know, uh, brotherhood between the, two, the the four men, like, you know, them joking around, joshing each other. The moments where that occurs, and I emphasize the moments that that occurs, I think the movie becomes far more enjoyable. Um, and beyond that, there's one interesting little—this is an important issue—moment uh, that I actually thought was— Interesting because you don't see it that much in movies. There's a moment when, after um, an argument uh, between Sam Cooke and, uh, and and Malcolm X, you know, Sam Cooke leaves, Muhammad follows him, and then it's just him and Jim Brown. And Jim Brown is like, you know, why is it that it's always the light-skinned brothers that are the most militant? Uh, and it goes into it starts delving into you know colorism. Which and, is something that I don't really see addressed that much. And, Mal- and Malcolm,
0: first- Malcolm seems like a bit of a loss when that's even questions
1: even posed to him. Yeah, which, which is interesting. I, I mean, like, I he, mean, yeah, I, I mean, I'm trying to think how he would feel about watching that scene. But you know, putting that aside, I think that it is interesting. I don't see it posed uh, that often in film. Um, you know, you got – I can't – like me and JB were actually talking and we were trying to come up with movies that even – that were about or even just briefly addressed colorism. And it generally doesn't come up that much. Uh, there's like a dance scene in uh, School Days. There's Trick Baby, this 1972 or 73 black flotation movie. Um, I think Chameleon Street. School Days talks Got about it. School Days talks about
0: that a lot actually. I watched that right Does before we, yeah. It's been, yeah, it's yeah been I, watched, I I watched it right before we did the Five Bloods pod. So, I mean, a lot of it's about just like those people in that like the the guys that aren't in that fraternity like kind of like just like accusing those guys in the fraternity of just being like, you know, just light-skinned guys trying to live a different lifestyle. Like I feel like that was what a lot of the conflict in that was about.
1: So, there you go. Um actually, talking about other movies, um something that I kept thinking about watching this was Uh, Dear White People, and how much more successful I felt that that movie was in delving into, you know, serious issues without sacrificing, you know, being good. Uh, (laughs) Because that's a movie that also features four protagonists, each one kind of representing a separate, you know, uh, vision of blackness in America. You know what I mean? You got a what, what was it i'm, for, I'm sorry i'm forgetting the, the name of everyone well, who was i mean in that there's movie. tessa
0: thomas Tessa, tessa, Thompson,
1: Thompson. tessa thomas is the activist and then you've got uh, coco being i forgot her the uh, name f- of the That she activist. was the
0: one i was forgetting like, uh, that's coco, Tino, that's perry yeah yeah
1: okay so yeah and she's like you know kind of trying to assimilate you've got uh uh what's his name it, uh, it, I, it, i'm it, thinking about chris yeah it's, is it jesse tyler or something or is it uh um, I, I, I forget their names, but um, you got Chris from Everybody Hates Chris. He's like kind of this nerd who feels that he's disrespected on all sides, uh, both by white people and by black people. And Tyler, and Tyler, James, Tyler James Williams, it's his name. Yeah. And who was the athlete in that movie again? Uh,
0: I think that that guy's uh, is that the guy that's named? Uh, I, I knew the character's name was Troy. The actor's name is yeah, Bra- Brandon Bell. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And he's like you know kind of accepted. Uh, by by the establishment. and these you know these four people all you know have different philosophical approaches, right um, but they're all you know people. I feel, I feel like i need uh, to watch i feel nuances. like I, I feel like i owe that movie another watch
0: i never watched the netflix show and i remember thinking the movie had some interesting stuff and i liked tessa thompson a lot in it but i was like man i just it, it was i i knew such a different college experience the way that that movie depicted going to college I, and i was it, it just like it struck me kind of odd at the time i was like having a little trouble connecting to it because of that but i feel like i would get it more now if i watched it
1: yeah it, it I, it's, I think it's one of the best movies of the past 10 years really okay and uh but but that it also didn't sacrifice being good. It was funny. Um, I felt for the characters all in a way that I don't hear, even though this movie kind of locks them all in a room together. So I, I don't. I feel like I know these people less coming out of the movie huh. than I did going in. Yeah, I mean, I guess
0: I don't know. I, I again, I just because I knew nothing about sam cook i was able to kind of just take that 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 part of the movie at face value and i and i the
1: thing is i don't take it at face value because of how hagiography it is even though he's the one i know the least about i'm not taking this movie at its word you know kind of positioning him as sort of like this kind of tom figure you know what i mean i'm not i'm not i mean i know that that's that's a bit of that's a bit hyperbolic. It's not really portraying him as a race trader. but do you remember last year
0: when I mean I don't know how much you followed any because you're not on Twitter as much as me, so I I feel like I see a lot of stuff that just gets like retweeted and said, and who knows how much people are actually talking about it. But mm-hmm. I I, think, I feel like when people were talking about like different you know ar- like around the time when all the protests were happening and people were talking about different policies that should be enacted to you know help out black people, like a lot of people maybe it was actually like. Shoot, I want to say it was some kind of—I don't know if it was Ice Cube or someone else like that. And I know he had a whole weird year of like doing semi-problematic stuff last year. and Maybe it was someone else, but someone like that or in that space came out and said that they really needed to make it a lot easier for like black people to own property, and and pass legislation that made it easier for them to accumulate wealth in that way. And then I heard and then I saw someone else push back against that and say that look, you're thinking about this the wrong way because uh, appraisers are racist and uh sometimes just because a black person owns a piece of property it's going to get it appraised less than it would if just a white person owned it and that's like a built-in way to like say you're doing something to help them but ultimately like it's there's still like a larger systemic issue there that's just not going to get addressed if that's the way you want to help them as opposed to straight cash in a way and that and i guess i don't know for some reason my mind went there as i was watching this movie and it made me think well this is kind of interesting if like you know uh sam cook wants to go out on his own and just like actually try and like you know Focus on like building economic wealth the same way that I think Jim Brown has like a similar conversation to Malcolm at some point with that when he's talking about why he might want to, like, you know, pers- when he's talking to Malcolm when Sam and uh, Cassius have gone to the liquor store or whatever. Or- Did they go to the liquor store or I, I forgot what they were doing? Um- yeah, they go to a liquor store. Okay, yeah. And I think that's a big part of what Jim Brown's pitch to Malcolm X is about that. And like, I, again, I knew more about Jim Brown, the football player, but maybe not so much about his reasoning. And I'm like, I, I-, I just thought, again, I, I i can and again i i fully acknowledge it might just be like naive white person uh, enjoying hearing all these guys thoughts but i was just like that i feel like it's interesting that like we're still having conversations about that today and like the, the the proper way to go about doing these things and jim brown was if this was indeed part of his thinking back 55 years ago i find that pretty interesting that they were already having similar debates about like building economic wealth as opposed to just you know oh no
1: that, you know, the conversations about this has gone back are i mean shit it goes back to like civil war I mean, But the, the, yeah probably further right like, you know it's not it's not you know i'm not i'm not i'm not going oh wow i can't believe yeah, thing. I, you know, I, yeah i, I, I don't I, want to say i, I was stunned but i just yeah. think it's like yeah my yeah. thing is just yeah I, I people talk about this shit like to each other like mm-hmm. i'm not that impressed right, um, right i'm sure that it's impressive for the Hamilton crowd out there no offense but like uh, it, 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 it's like all right yeah what else what else you got for me I and mean, the movie has nothing else just this very surface level you know conversation starter quote unquote it's shit that i've already spoken about what, 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 already
0: so hurt. so what, what, let me ask you then before we finish up what what about the because we, we talked a little bit about the performance in relation to thinking about the movie Malcolm X, but what did you think about the uh, Cassius slash Malcolm X like side of this movie, which I think ultimately kind of, you know, it takes a little bit of backseat to the Malcolm X, uh, Sam Cooke side of this movie. But uh, was that something, it just felt like something you'd seen before because you've seen Ali. Cause I felt like I had, I'd kind of seen that a little more recently in the last year, but I, I thought in Ali, it's more from Muhammad Ali's perspective. So, I, again, I was still interested by seeing Malcolm X depicted at this point in time, like really so unsure. The way his the, vo- the way his voice cracks when they ask who's going to be in this organization, like I thought that was actually like pretty moving and interesting. Uh, but it, it it sounds like maybe it didn't do that much for you.
1: Um, I Admittedly, that little subplot, um, which you're right, like the back half of the movie is pretty much just arguments between uh, Malcolm X and Sam Cooke, mm-hmm. um, with the other two taking you know being sidelined. But yeah, I think that that little subplot is actually probably the more interesting one. Okay. You know, the fact that you know Malcolm X. I mean, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay is 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 having these kind of uh, he's teetering on the edge here. Meanwhile, uh, Malcolm X is trying to encourage him, but also distancing himself from the organization that, you know, he's thinking about joining, because I think—I don't know too much at the time of, you know, what were, were there any alternatives to the nature of Islam in uh, regards for, like, you know, uh, Black Muslims. But the fact that, like, you know, he's thinking about entering into this organization that Malcolm himself is having issues with, I think there's an interesting—a far more interesting conversation to be had about that than, you know, the Sam Cooke— malcolm x shit like i'm sorry uh, i just that part i just didn't find very interesting whatsoever so yeah i think that it probably becomes a stronger movie it's more focused on the cassius clay malcolm x relationship so yeah maybe maybe it didn't do it artificial then the artificial conflict between malcolm x and sam Cook. Yeah.
0: so maybe it didn't do a ton for you but for a second there you saw a movie that you much would have preferred to see than the
1: one we got <laughs> yeah and i mean here's the thing i'm sure that even if they went that Way, it would still be boring as shit. So,
0: yeah. All right. Well, I mean, it, it's funny. It, it, it just really struck us different ways. But again, I think that, I mean, says a lot about, like, you know, I I probably need to be having more conversations with other people than the ones I have conversations with every day, Um, and I and I and I and I I really enjoy getting your perspective. Is there anything else you want to say about the movie before we wrap up? Did you uh, have any thoughts on any of the digressions it had outside of the hotel, whether it be when the the fight scene or when uh, Malcolm in the 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 scene where Malcolm first saw. uh, Sam perform in Boston. That was a, kind of a different scene compared to everything else we get with. Just any other p- corners of this movie you wanted to comment on before we finished up?
1: No, I think we about covered it. There's just not that much about this movie, you know, to even talk about because it's so much boring shit <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, you know i think i think uh, I, I think uh, you know uh, maybe it's fine for you to have been on this podcast but maybe josh would have just felt too bad if he ended up on the podcast because then he after all of his worrying about you know uh just talking bad about any kind of female-led movie these days he would have had to have like you know shit on the movie that might get, give us the first ever black female director nominee uh, at the oscars oh uh, my god would she on oh, no, she she don't deserve i mean there's a good there, for this. There's, there's, it sounds like there's a good ah, chance it's gonna it, happen
1: it, it, it's been a weak fucking year i'll tell you that
0: <laughs> oh, and regina king deserves good things but i guess she already did get an oscar a couple years ago for another one is of your you... favorite oh, for another yeah, yeah. For another one of oh, your favorite God. movies
1: oh, God. <laughs> failing up i will say actually me and jb were talking about this movie and he was like say what you will about um uh what was that movie the the regina
0: feel the- sure you can talk
1: Say what you will about Beale Street, but at least it has like a style to it. And you know, reluctantly, I agree that is a movie where I can at least commend the look, I can commend the music, I can commend the craft of that movie.
0: Yeah, your your
1: your problems with Barry Jenkins are more with his writing than his filmmaking. Yeah, and here, like. I mean, the filmmaking, I don't know, like you said, I'm not sure how it elevates above like the kind of, I assume, the entirety of the play takes place within the confines of the hotel room. So even taking part some scenes outside of the hotel room is, prob- is, is probably a reprieve that wasn't in the original play. But, I mean, holy shit, this is a sleepy-go-bye-bye movie, I tell you that
0: oh man i would uh i would still recommend people check it out even if daniel wouldn't uh it's easy to watch it's on amazon prime i th- i th- i think there's stuff to be had from uh watching these performances and uh well again I, I mean we didn't really spoil this for anyone so i don't think anyone is waiting still listening that's asking for recommendation Uh, so will scratch wait that. cassius clay changed his name uh, well, oh, <laughs> I got you. I got you. Everyone knows what bitch. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, uh, whatever. I I I'd still recommend it, even if Josh wouldn't. You should at least do it, so you can have a take when the Oscars come around. I think Daniel will feel much more comfortable shitting on it when it gets eight Oscar nominations than he would if he hadn't watched it. So at least he gets that out of it. And uh, and yeah. So uh, Daniel, before we sign off, uh, anything else you want to recommend that you've been watching recently? We a couple weeks ago, I watched The Bourne Legacy with you and. Uh, have you been watching anything since then?
1: Yeah, I will say for that—that uh, that, that was actually probably the most fun I've had ringing in the new year for in a while. <laughs> uh, we ended the movie, you know, the Born Strings came in right when uh, the clock hit midnight, so that was a good feeling. Which is kind of weird because um, it wasn't a
0: good movie, so it's kind of funny to oh no, uh, no it's to, not. to kind of like end a, end a bad year. Simultaneously as you end a bad movie it was kind of a, a, a funny you know, little No, I'll say there. this
1: 2020, kind of a good year for me. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> like you know bad for the world. Decent for me. I'm not gonna lie. Decent for me. Uh, okay. Um honestly this year so far, I haven't really seen anything that really that really stood out. Uh I mean, I did really, really like Demons, which was the uh the the movie by Mario Bava's son. I forgot his name. Sergio Bava, well, I'm just sorry, no, Lamberto. Lamberto Bava, you can find that one on Movie. But um, since we're doing, you know, t- since we're talking about these four men, I'm going to recommend a bunch of like Jim Brown. Jim Brown, honestly, he was one of the first uh, black action stars, uh, one of the first, I guess, black stars holding down his own movie. Um, most of his, a lot of his work from like the 60s and 70s, you can find on YouTube, honestly. Uh, but uh, Riot, which was a movie where he, I believe, is a prisoner uh, standing in opposition to Gene Hackman. I can't—honestly, it's been a while since I've seen it. All I know is that it's a good movie. Riot from 1969. Black Gun, you can find streaming for free on Tubi. Mm, good to know. Uh, Slaughter, I think, and Slaughter Slaughter's big ripoff, the sequel, you can find on YouTube. And, you know, 100 Rifles is a good one. Uh, the Slams. Is a good one that might be the one i'm thinking about and of course take a hard ride which is him teaming up with jim kelly and fred williamson and lee van cleef that's i think the best movie he's done um beyond that i haven't seen a ton of ali docs i have not seen that one famous ali doc what was it when we were kings um but i have seen facing ali which i found really really interesting uh it's a talking head doc but it's uh ten of his former opponents talking about Muhammad Ali. Hmm. And, you know, you've got Joe Frazier, Larry Holmes, Leon Spinks, and then, uh, you know, some people that I, I had never heard of before, like George Chivalo, Henry Cooper, Ken Norton. Honestly, I'm not a huge boxing fan, but um, hearing about what it was like to face this man who's considered, you know, one of the greatest athletes of all time uh, in such a—as personal a sport as boxing, uh, it's a very interesting documentary. Um, never seen that Sam Cooke documentary about, you know, the mysterious circumstances around his death that's on Netflix. But, you know, I'm sure that that would probably be a decent watch. And, of course, if you haven't seen Malcolm X yet, go see Malcolm X.
0: Yeah, we're, you should still not be doing anything with COVID being as serious as it is. So if there's ever a time we're going to watch that three-hour, seven-minute movie that's considered Spike Lee's masterpiece, like, make now the time, you know? Or else yeah. you're going to find an excuse not to once things go back to normal. So... Uh... Yeah, you know, we uh, oh man, we didn't even really talk about the fact that, like, you, you mentioned that hey uh, Sam Cook's death, but I mean, it is interesting, this movie's set when it is, like, within a year of both him and uh, Malcolm X dying, like, I, that's the other thing I thought was I mean, at least kind of interesting about it was, in I don't know if it should get too much credit for that, but it's interesting that it's set at a very particular point in time where, you know, Jim Brown's within a year quitting football and Muhammad Ali's within two years of, going to war with the boxing commission and the other two guys would be dead within a year i think i I guess i i maybe i maybe who knows maybe i gave the movie a little too much credit just because i I was thinking about that and i was like wow that's kind of wild that like it's depicting all these guys right now and things are about to change for them so much but um uh yeah i guess the only other thing i'll recommend right now because i haven't watched a lot of new stuff i've been working my i'm still working my way through like marvel and i had to spend some time rewatching this but um uh, or Marvel rewatch, excuse me. But I watched that movie, Sylvie's love on Amazon, which also, which actually also has, we talked about Tessa Thompson, Lance Reddick plays her dad in that. who plays one of uh, Malcolm X's bodyguards in one night in Miami. But uh, it's a movie on Amazon prime. That's uh, new that has Tessa Thompson as um, this woman who's just living in Harlem in the late fifties. And, has a husband that's off at war, but becomes romantically involved with the guy that her dad hires to work at the record shop, who's played by Namdi Asama. Speaking of actors going into or athletes going into acting, Namdi Asama was a Pro Bowl cornerback. But is now almost better known as Mr. Kerry Washington uh, because he's married to Kerry Washington and did a movie called Crown Heights with Keith Stanfield a few years ago about a guy wrongfully convicted of murder. And it was very interesting because a lot of times when athletes transition into acting, uh, they do it via action movies like Jim Brown did for a lot of his movies and – it's, it's it's it just it obviously kind of makes sense. Those guys are athletic; they can handle that kind of thing. And I th- find it very interesting that Namdi who I'm not going to say too many nice things about because he was actually an asshole to me when I covered Eagles training camp in 2012. But Damn, uh, getting skinny. Yeah, but uh, he, I, I was just a young intern trying to get a couple questions answered, and he just kind of blew me off. But Damn. I I just think it's very interesting that a guy like he's producing movies and he's. Um, trying to like kind of work his way into like acting by like fine helping finance independent movies and acting some
1: of them and i mean that's nice and all but it it doesn't hit the same as watching jim brown literally throw a man into the air i swear to god (laughs) i swear to god y'all watch jim brown's movies he throws every fight every movie he's got one fight scene where he's like all right and he just picks a grown man up and throws him it is Beautiful.
0: not saying that's worthwhile i just find it very interesting that this is how this particular athlete decided i'm going to become an actor and just like do these interesting weird indie movies and uh I, it, and not totally get blown off the screen By Tessa Thompson It is still very noticeable That she's Tessa Thompson And he's a former athlete not, In like his third movie <laughs> uh, But at the same time He's not he's not bad And it's a very earnest movie a, a Just a, a love story about black people And it's really The fact that they're black Informs certain parts of this story But it's interesting To just like Kind of see something like that Kind of like the, the, the photograph That we talked about last year And that it's like a mm-hmm. um, You know
1: Like uh, an old-fashioned Old-fashioned romance TV-O, Yeah, yeah romance.
0: Except it's set, this one's set in the late 50s early 60s as opposed to the you know the photograph is like a modern day thing and i I, it's you know it's 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 interesting it's nice when black people get to you know make movies like that and there should be room for them to tell all different kinds of stories um and i and i I thought it was a nice enough time so that's another one that's easy enough to find on amazon prime that i would recommend uh daniel before we sign off anything else do you want to plug your letterbox or anything else
1: my letterbox is felonious funk um i just hit three thousand movies congratulations Yeah, my 3000th movie was uh, Cats and Dogs 2, The Revenge of Kitty Galore.
0: I mean, I think it's very fitting that that's where he decided to make a landmark. It was. And you
1: know what? It's a good movie.
0: There you go. I, I I I'm as usual on Letterboxd at Josh Jurnevoy J O S H J U R N O V O I. But also on Twitter. I will be hitting my 2,000th movie at some point in the first two or three months of this year. So I guess I'll have to put hey. a, I'll have to put a lot of thought into that as casting Dogs did, Three. <laughs> I have, have to put a lot of thought into that as Daniel did into his uh, 3,000th podcast. Twitter is at Rewind Movie Pod, or, and Gmail is the Rewind Movie Pod at Gmail So send any feedback or recommendations there because after we we'll. we'll, we'll Uh, We're going to be talking about all the new movies probably that are trying to make that Oscar deadline in the next couple months, but who knows? There could be a bit of a dead period for the movies uh, in like you know March and April uh, and May while we're still like trying to like you know get everyone vaccinated and the people aren't all rushing to the theaters yet. So probably going to be talking about some more old movies at that point in the year too. But uh, I think we're going to have plenty of new stuff to talk about over the next couple of months as more stuff starts coming on demand. So uh, I think next we're going to, you know, maybe talk about pieces of a woman then promising young woman. And then uh, who knows what else after that. So everyone, thanks for listening. Thanks to Daniel for joining us and we'll see you next time.